You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, um, assuming you're even listening to this because I didn't delete it again, um, we've been down for two days, not for lack of trying. Um, After the first day of combine and whatnot. I was working like crazy, trying to get everything done. It was getting late. And I said, you know what? Forget it. I'll just finish it tomorrow. The next day I finished it and then promptly deleted it thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. I needed another thing to record. So I started recording, assuming that it was uploaded and it wasn't. And I just saw it just, it just two days of work got deleted. That's just how it goes, I guess. So now being several days behind, um, the plan of going like position by position like I was doing before is kind of out the window. And since I was sort of disregarding some of the news and notes, we're just going to do it all in one big swing here. So um, lots and lots to talk about, as well as kind of getting caught up a little bit on where we're at with some of these prospects and the testing numbers and whatnot. Um, It is 11 o'clock, so I have not seen the testing for uh, quarterbacks and whatnot for Saturday. So we'll save that all for tomorrow. I don't want to sit and wait and then, you know, gets too late again and whatnot. So let's start with a little bit of news and notes from uh, what people are hearing. First of all, the biggest thing is what I've been telling you since day one. First of all, the Chicago Bears are not expected to get much more than a third round pick, if anything more than that, for Justin Fields, possibly a second round pick. That quote-unquote news just broke, and everybody's been freaking out, and I don't know why, because again, I've been telling you that. Not not because I know it, but because it's already been reported. It's been reported as early as I can tell from January. But we all got to pretend that we didn't know that, or everybody forgot, or I don't know what the plan is, what what the issue is. But whatever, um, that is still the case. Uh, I did see reports other than that, but they were all from Bears media and and other just freaking bootlicking morons who are obsessed with Justin Fields and convinced that he's going to be so great. And it wasn't even necessarily reports; it was people just speculating. I think Peter King and some other people that are just all big fans of Fields or whatever. I I saw somebody, uh, and by the way, I'm pretty sure I had a bad dream about this, so I might be getting a little confused. But we're talking about like a trade with the the Falcons that included moving from nine to eight and then additional value on top of that, like a, a second and a 2025, this, that. It's like, guys, come on. 
come on. I mean, whatever. So again, we're back to square one of a second or third round pick for Justin Fields. Apparently part of the issue, um, although I don't necessarily buy it. I I forgot it was on, I think, the Athletic Football Show. Um, I'm going to guess it was Diana Rossini because she's the one that wrote the Athletic article. So I'm guessing she's the one that was on the podcast also. But one of the things she talked about was how you know, it's it's sort of a supply and demand issue with, number one, how many teams actually need quarterbacks? And then of those teams, how many teams are going to be drafting one this year? And then of the remaining teams, how many of them would prefer to have somebody like Kirk Cousins or just a better quarterback? The only issue I have with that is that's not even the question. Um, the, the, the issue with the supply and demand thing for me, at least as far as Justin Fields and... Um, Kirk Cousins are concerned is that they're two different commodities. You you can't apply supply and demand to that. The only question that matters is, is Justin Fields a franchise quarterback or not? That's it. If he is, you don't take Kirk Cousins because you think he's slightly better. Because Kirk Cousins is going to give you a year or two. So supply and demand has nothing to do with whether or not you take a better old quarterback over Justin Fields. Fields is what, 25? He's going to give you 10 years of quarterback play? I, I partly think that some of this is excuse-making for Justin Fields. Like, well, the reason the price is so low is because that it, it's kind of a flooded market, right? Bull crap. There are 32 teams that desperately need quarterbacks, and maybe half the NFL has it. If he is a legit starting franchise quarterback, there is going to be a race to get him. And Kirk Cousins has no bearing on that whatsoever, because Kirk Cousins is nobody's long-term option. The bottom line is, um, although yes, there might be some teams that that would take a swing at Justin Fields if it was a weak quarterback class, because then we're comparing apples to apples, where you're talking about long-term options compared to long-term options. The bottom line is, the third round value or late second round or whatever value that he has is based on his talent. And everything else is excuse making. All this stuff about, oh, it was the Bears. It was just the Bears that ruined him. Okay. Well, there are 31 other teams, and if that was their assessment, they'd be forking over a first-round pick to bring him in and make him a, a elite franchise quarterback. With his athleticism, if he's actually a legit passer, they would give up a first-round pick and then some. Is anybody going to do that? The answer is no. You know why? Because it's not true. He's not that, and nobody thinks he is, including the Bears, who are going to ship him off for pennies. Are the Bears looking at this going, yeah, it was our fault. That's why we fired our offensive coordinator, but we brought a new guy in, so we're going to keep Fields. Is that what they're doing? No, they're not. They're gonna, they'd are gonna. they rather go with an unknown commodity in the draft than stick with a guy that, that they've watched and apparently have assessed is actually quite good because they haven't actually assessed that, and nobody's assessed that. It's very easy for the, you know, reporters and the online film community to just make excuses. I don't know if this is breaking news to you, but some people just like to be nice. Some people say things just because it's the nice thing to say. And if they can bend the truth a little bit and maybe just lean on some of the positives about Justin Fields and ignore some of the negatives, it's not their career on the line to say that they think Justin Fields actually has potential. But this isn't an honest assessment. It's about being polite. And I'm sorry, I don't have that gene where being polite is, is more important than the truth, which... In 2024, being polite is more important than the truth. And I just, I don't go down that path. So, no, I don't care what you saw on Twitter. I don't care what some people said with their film breakdowns where they watched five plays of one game and they showed how, look at this pass and look at that. I don't care. He's not 
good at football, period. Beyond that, the other thing I've been saying about the Bears, they're going to trade Justin Fields, they're not going to trade their pick, and they are going to draft Caleb Williams. That's the bottom line, and more and more and more, that's the direction we're seeing them go. Caleb Williams has no doubt in his mind he's going number one overall. If you hear him talking, you know that he knows it. Everybody at the Combine came away with the exact same notion that I've been saying since day one, which is everything I just laid out. Fields is going to be traded. It's not going to be for a lot. The Bears are not going to trade their pick, and they are going to draft Caleb Williams. They've tried desperately to make it seem as though maybe something else could happen, and oh, they're going to get a haul for that pick and everything. No. Now, I'm not saying I know 100%, but it's just we, we overcomplicate this. This is so simple. And if, if they get it wrong, good. I don't want them to do the right thing, but that is the right thing. You trade him for pennies because that's what he's worth. You do not trade away that pick because it's the most important thing. And all this nonsense about, well, what if another team wants to come up for Drake May and then you could still trade back to two and still get the da 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 I'm not doing it. I'm not trusting another team that they're going to tell me the truth and that they're not going to take the guy that I want. And I'm certainly not going to allow myself to be in a situation where somebody trades up into my spot, drafts a quarterback, that quarterback goes on to be successful, and my quarterback does not. And I'm, I'm, I have people looking at me going, how could you have traded that pick away? What am I supposed to say? Well, <laughs> I wouldn't have taken the right guy even if I was sitting at one. So what's the difference? No, just do your job and pick the right guy, period. And I think that's what they're going to do. Now, the Kirk Cousins situation plays into this a lot as well. Um, partly, listen, From a Packers fan perspective, we don't want Kirk back in Minnesota, not only because I think he's a good quarterback and I don't want him in Minnesota, but it maybe means that teams get more desperate, teams like the Falcons and whatnot, and whether that's taking swings at fields or trying to offer more to the Bears to move up or whatever the case may be, it's just better if if Kirk Cousins goes somewhere like the Falcons. Just get out of here. Go away. So fingers crossed on that. Apparently that's, that's a big thing now. Um, everybody was talking about how Atlanta would be, you know, Fields would be amazing in Atlanta and all that. Apparently Atlanta doesn't want Fields, they want Cousins, because Cousins is good at being a quarterback and Fields is not. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers might be losing out on Baker Mayfield and are expected to miss out on Mike Evans. Apparently Mike Evans is going to be exploring his free agency options. This could just be letting him explore so that he can find out the market isn't as robust as he thinks, and then bringing him back. I don't know. But it sounds like Evans is going to be an option. Um, At this point in time, how do I feel about it? I don't know. I don't know. There's a part of me that's tempted because I do think he's a legit number one. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to invest a bunch into Mike Evans just at the tail end of his career. And he starts to taper off. And it turns out we got guys and we don't need Evans. And, you know, it's just, I don't know. But it would be kind of cool. So I will put a pin in that for a later time. Apparently there is some talk. So... Essentially, the the thought process was, I forgot, I think it was the Chargers or something. Um, I think I had uh, Marvin Harrison getting picked at like six and everybody lost their mind about how impossible that was. And maybe it is. But apparently there's some talk that the Cardinals, who were largely expected to just sit and take Marvin Harrison because the first three picks will be, you know, quarterbacks or whatever. There's some talk that they may be trading back, which is kind of crazy because they have a ton of picks. But that is the word on the street. Uh, maybe the offer is going to be just too sweet as as there are going to be a, a bidding war for the top quarterbacks with three going off the board probably first and maybe only four top quarterbacks. That means the, the Cardinals are going to be sitting on a pick that a handful of teams, I mean, you're looking at, you know, potentially some massive offers from, you know, the the Giants, 
maybe Tennessee, Atlanta, possibly the Jets, Minnesota, Denver. I mean, these could be some monstrous offers from maybe five teams trying to get up to four. But the other benefit to the Packers is if you have four quarterbacks going in the top four, that creates a real feeding frenzy for quarterbacks. Now, maybe some of these teams end up working out deals with Cousins. Maybe the Vikings lock him down. I don't know what the situation is, but the, the, the benefit I'm trying to drive at is by the time you start getting into the 20s, you might start to see guys like, you know, Penix or Bo Nix potentially get picked up. At least that's the hope. If, if guys start flying off faster than expected, then, then other guys who are expected to go maybe late first, early second could potentially go even sooner which just means that more guys get pushed back to the Packers. The one negative scenario here is that it's entirely possible that a team in the second round trades up with the Packers as Gutekunst starts planning to uh, stack up in 2025. (laughs) And then uh, finally, let's just go through some news and notes roundups here. We got quite a bit that's happened in the last couple days. Um, First of all, (laughs) you know how much I love reporting on the absolute cluster that is the Jets. There is now a report from Connor Hughes that they believe Nicole Hardman, who did go on to Kansas City, but while he was with the Jets, leaked the Jets' game plans to the Eagles and to the Chiefs. Apparently at this point it's speculation, but multiple team members have uh, sort of, I guess, come forward with the belief that Nicole Hardman was leaking game plans to other teams because he was frustrated with his lack of usage. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings have uh, released Alexander Madison. Kind of a surprising situation because Minnesota's in a little bit of a tough spot when it comes to the running back spot. I mean, Madison was on his final year of his deal. Right now, they've got Ty Chandler and Kenne Nwanwu. Unless they really feel good about Miles um, Gaskin, Dwayne McBride, I don't know exactly. But as of right now, it looks like a 26-year-old sixth-round pick Ty Chandler is going to be their uh, their top dog over there. I would have to assume that running back is certainly um, an option for them. Um, the Saints released safety Marcus May. Some reports on Jonathan Brooks, apparently, despite his injury concerns. Um, he's expected to be recovered by July 1st, meaning he really shouldn't be much of an issue as far as his injury and being ready. And he, even if, listen, his timeline is irrelevant to me as, as a Jonathan Brooks fan, but let me just say in general, I, I don't understand the idea that, well, what if he's not ready by September or October? Who gives a crap? This is, a, this is like a, a seven, eight-year investment. You're, you're, you're not going to draft a guy because of a month? He might not have played very much anyways. He's a rookie. Who gives a crap? The only thing that matters is the long-term implications of a guy with an ACL tear. Do you think this has caused him to maybe not be... Um, as good of a football player. And maybe there's a concern there because you can't really test him and get him on the field and see what he looks like and see if he looks any different because you won't be able to see that until after he's drafted. So you have to invest first and then find out later. That 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 part I could understand. But for me, whether he was ready July 1st or September 1st or October 1st or December 1st, it doesn't move the needle that much. Lots of rookies essentially make our, you know, Redshirting the first year. I mean, we hardly saw Lucas Van Ness. We didn't see Rashawn Gary when we drafted him. We didn't hardly see Kenny when we drafted him. I'm not saying it's ideal, but it just it doesn't matter to me. But you know, there you go. July first, um, the uh, Eagles have replaced uh, released safety Kevin Byard. 
So several safeties have now been released that's going to flood the market, which more than likely is going to mean that the price for these guys is going to be coming down, increasing the likelihood that the Packers could potentially be taking a swing here, right? The, the fact that there's a bigger pool to pick from means it's more likely the Packers are going to find someone they like and also at a price that they're going to want to pick them up. Uh, commanders have released left tackle Charles Leno. They also released tight end Logan Thomas. Patriots released cornerback J.C. Jackson. Commanders released safe uh, center Nick Gates. Uh, Darren Waller, tight end now for the Giants, potentially is going to be retiring. And then finally, Tyron Smith, longtime left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, is unlikely to return to the Dallas Cowboys, which is a pretty big blow for a team that I've been saying for a long time. you got to get that offensive line going, but... I don't care. I'm happy about it because I don't want Dallas doing anything ever. And this is going to help with that. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll discuss some of the uh, pretty big Packers news and then start talking about some of these prospects. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so some pretty big running back news for the Green Bay Packers. Um, the lesser news has to do with Aaron Jones and uh, reports about his pay cut. Essentially, what happened is, and, and I think this is exactly what happened last time, it just wasn't reported, but essentially the Packers went to Aaron Jones with the intention of offering him a certain amount of money, and if, if they can't come to an agreement on, on the amount of money, then Aaron Jones will be let hit free agency to test the market and see if he can find the amount he wants in the market. Here's, here's what I know with like 95% certainty. This is exactly what happened last time with Aaron Jones. We just didn't get this story. I said that this is what I... Listen, let me just remind you the discourse that happened last time. I said they shouldn't, and I don't think they will, bring back Aaron Jones. Obviously, I was wrong about that, but I guess I didn't contemplate a pay cut. I guess if I had thought more clearly, I would have said they're not going to bring him back at this price. And they didn't. And so what did they do? They went to Aaron Jones and they said, we're not paying you this much money. We'll pay you this much if you're willing to take a pay cut. And he said, okay. And the, and the bottom line is the conversation went like this. Either you take this amount of money or you have to leave because we're not paying you. It's the exact same conversation they're having right now. 
I mean, look, these, these pay cuts don't just happen out of the goodness of their heart. This is the same thing with Preston Smith. This isn't just the team going, hey, man, can you do us a favor? This is the team essentially saying, we, we have no choice but to let you go because we cannot pay you this amount of money. However, if you're willing to come down to this, then it's kind of within the wheelhouse of what we're willing to pay. Uh, but, but if you're not willing to do that, we completely understand, but we do have to let you go. And the bottom line is the Packers weren't being unfair to Aaron Jones. They, they, they just had a, a uh, they had structured the contract in such a way that Aaron Jones had essentially priced himself out of something reasonable, which I think, you know, agents need to be cognizant of this when they structure some of these deals or allow some of these restructures or whatever the case may be, that eventually we're going to get to a point where you're making it unlikely that the Packers are ever going to pay you that, meaning you're either going to get cut and not receive the money or you're going to take a pay cut. Don't do that, because because then and I mean I, I understand the contracts are fake to a degree, but you know where the fakeness lies. But there's a whole other area of of fakeness when you know Aaron Jones now has to take two pay cuts in a row. But the bottom line is the the Packers want Aaron Jones desperately. They love Aaron Jones. They've they've showed their hand as far as negotiating goes, talking about him being the heart and soul of the team and everything else. They've, 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 again, they've showed their hand. They, they want him to stay desperately, and I, I think they mean it. But all that means is they're going to offer him a contract that he's worth. They're going to lay all the, the financials out, and they're going to look at it and say, look, here's your age, here's your injury history, here's your production, here's what we think that, uh, that you're worth based on the current market, you know, comps and whatnot, no different than you would do with a house in a neighborhood. You kind of look at similar houses and put together some comps and, and you go from there and you say, look, we, we think this is a fair market value and we want to give you fair market value, but I'm not giving you 11 million because you're not worth 11 million. And Aaron Jones is going to have no choice but to look at that and say, okay. Now, maybe it's going to be a little bit different because I know last time when he took the pay cut, he was still top of the market, right? So the Packers offered him a contract that was less than what he was supposed to get, but it was still basically what the top running backs were getting at. This time around, it might not be that. So Aaron Jones potentially could look around and go, I don't know, I think I still want to be top of the market. And the Packers are going, mm, I don't think we're giving you top of the market anymore, bud. So that, that's the one glaring difference that I see here. But I do think that the Packers are going to pay him fairly. And I do expect Aaron Jones to take the money. But I, I also think that Aaron Jones is going to have some level of, um, I don't want to say pride, some level of self-preservation and and you know, doing what's best for him and not just taking a pay cut because the Packers asked him to. Um, I think there's going to be a, a general sense of, if I think I can get top of the market and you're not offering it to me, then I'm going to explore that. So that, that would be my only concern. But I do think that this is similar to what happened last time. As, and, and again, I say similar because of that one difference. Otherwise, I think it's exactly the same. And I do think they get it worked out because I think Jones wants to finish his career here. And I think the Packers want him to finish his career here. But... Uh, We'll see how it goes. The larger bit of news is the report that the Packers are not expected to bring back Aaron Jones, or excuse me, uh, A.J. Dillon. Um, look, I, I, I think I like A.J. Dillon. I think we all like A.J. Dillon. We appreciate him. He's embraced Wisconsin like, like no other player has, especially the region, right? He, he loves it up there. But I think a very fair commentary on A.J. Dillon has been that you can find an A.J. Dillon pretty much anywhere in the draft. And paying him to keep him around just doesn't make sense. You know, you drafted him because he had unbelievable sky-high potential. He had Derrick Henry potential, but he just, he doesn't play like Derrick Henry. He doesn't have the vision. He doesn't play with the amount of power that you'd expect from a guy his size. Um, 
you know, I've been I've been screaming for a couple of years now. The thing that drives me nuts is he's he just he doesn't see the field very well. He's constantly running to open grass as opposed to following his blockers and just, you know, the guy just he, he kind of frustrates you sometimes. Very rarely does he make magic happen. He's a good player, right? He's he's a about as as mediocre of a running back as there is, but he's also a, a solid receiver and and blocker and all that stuff. Like he he's a pretty well-rounded guy and all that. But I mean, you just look at the draft and you go, man. I I mean, you look at some of these third round, fourth round guys, probably better runners than him. You know, you're not going to get the size, but again, the the size was kind of an illusion, anyways. He didn't play as though he was that big. Once in a while, you see him lay a guy out, but once in a while, I see Aaron Jones lay a guy out. So it's it's a sad situation, especially since last year was his down year. I mean, it's it's very similar to uh, John Runyon. I mean, if if you would have told me two years ago, John Runyon won't be here after this next year, I would have said you're out of your mind. But in a contract year, he just massively underperformed. And now we just assume he's on his way out and, and probably rightly so. And I think the same thing is true with Dylan. I mean, you look at the PFF grades, you look at some of the the stats and analytics and whatnot. Dylan's been a good running back. But this past year, it just it wasn't there. There was nothing desirable, desirable about Dylan. It was a night and day difference when Aaron Jones was and wasn't on the field. And obviously, that's partly to do with how good Aaron Jones was, but it's not entirely because of that. I mean, we just didn't have a run game. We didn't have anything without Aaron Jones. And so, um, you know, again, I mean, if, if that's the case where you just you don't have a better option, fine, but I'm not paying for that privilege of not having a better option. So with that, um, obviously, I also, just like the Vikings, I expect the Packers to be on the market for a running back, um, even even if they they work something out with Aaron Jones, which is not a guarantee. I mean, it's possible Jones could walk out the door and Dylan walk out the door. And, um, you know, we could re-sign Jones if he can't find what he wants. But even if he's testing the market, I mean, we got a draft coming up pretty quick and we don't know what's going on. I, you know, and even if we resign Jones for how long? One more year? Two more years? I mean, we don't have a number one or a number two running back right now. I know we got a couple guys that have shown some things in very small sample sizes that might be decent running backs, but I have no idea. It might be a bigger priority than we think. And the Packers have already met with multiple um, running backs. Uh, they did meet with Jonathan Brooks, which I was happy to see. They also met with Air Force running back Trey Taylor. Uh, I'm not sure how many other running backs they've met with, but more so as far as I can tell than any other position so far, uh, they've met with running backs. So. You know, this may be similar to what happened the year that they drafted Aaron Jones, where it's just, they might just take three mid to late round swings and kind of load up on it. Oh, they met with uh, Braylon Allen, also out of Wisconsin. Since we're on the subject, they met up with Nate Wiggins out of Clemson. That dude put on a show at the Combine. We'll get into that. Um, Just getting even more jacked up about his potential with possibly being a Packer. And, of course, Max Melton. Is another guy that uh, Packer fans really like, largely because of of Bo Melton, but also I think a lot of guys have went and watched his tape and really liked it. And he also had a pretty good combine. So the the hype for Max Melton is not coming down, especially since the Packers met with him. Um, they met with quarterback Michael Pratt, Oregon safety Evan Williams, safety Javon Bullard out of uh, Georgia, which we heard from Jersey Mike last night or two nights ago or whatever. Uh, really big fan of him. Packers met informally with Cam Kinchins, who had a terrible combine. Um, it's about it, as far as I can see. Um, I haven't started compiling that full list right now, but that's that's what I have off the top of my head here, or in my my bookmarks on social media. 
But I'll start gathering that as we go through because there's been a lot of meetings even prior to the combine. So we'll we'll get that list rolling. But all right, let's take our final break. We'll come back and try to rip through what we've seen so far from the combine, some of the winners and losers, etc. And focus on, again, the actual measurements that matter and, and who performed the best with those. But we'll take a break. We'll be right back. All right, so let's start with the defensive interior. We've got a handful of guys that uh, really had a solid combine. We can kind of do the cutoff around a nine, but uh, Chris Jenkins had an 892, Mason Smith, 898. This is relative athletic score. Byron Murphy had a 902, Logan Lee, 908, Gabe Hall, 911, Marshawn Nealon, 954, Rook Aurora, 987, and then Braden Fisk dominated with his 988 winner of the day. But uh, with Chris uh, Chris Jenkins, remember, they, they run the drills, but then they also have their scores out of 10. So 955 is out of 10, but each individual drill is also out of 10. So the 40-yard dash was a 924. He ran a 491, but 924 out of 10. The 10-yard split, which was a 169, is a 927 out of 10. Pretty much had nines across the board. He did not do agility, and his vert was a 717, but the broad jump 952. But uh, at 6'2 and a half, 299 pounds, his size was also considered okay. Uh, Mason Smith, it was his height, his vert, and his 40-yard dash that uh, really kind of set him apart. Everything else was kind of in the mediocre range. His agility was just good. Same with the splits and the broad jump. Byron Murphy came in small, 6'297", 0.97 on height for him. But he still crossed the threshold with a 9.03 RAS because of his uh, elite speed and great explosion grade. His 33-inch vert was a 9.36 out of 10. He ran a 4.87, which is a 9.55 out of 10. And his 1.69 10-yard split was a 9.27 out of 10. Uh, Logan Lee, he was uh, 6.5, so his height was a big asset, although his weight at being at 281 was just a 176 out of 10. Speed was just okay. His his 40-yard dash was a 505, which for his size you would expect a little bit better, 733 out of 10, but still elite agility, which is a big one. Uh 983 for his 3 cone out of 10. His 3 cone was a 716. His short shuttle 437 was a 961 out of 10. And then his vert and broad jump were also in the great range. Um Gabe Hall 912 I don't know why these aren't in order. I opened them in order. But um, for him, it was his height at 6'6", his 10-yard split at 172, and then elite explosion. Marshawn Nealon, defensive tackle, small size, but elite speed, 4.7540 and a 166 10-yard split, elite agility and elite explosion. So being a, he's a smaller guy, but just athletic freak across the board aside from that. Uh, Rook Aurororo, 9.9 RAS, elite speed, elite explosion, didn't do agility, but six foot four, 294. So the, the height is fine, the weight is low. And then Braden Fisk, who had the 994, um, six foot four, so decent height, and then elite speed and elite explosion, 292, a little undersized, did not do agility. Um, moving over to the uh, things that matter. For interior defenders, it's all three cone, right? So there's an inverse relationship with weight. So even though RAS docks you for being lighter weight, 
according to these metrics that uh, were put together by Mr. Mason Cole or Kevin Cole, not Mason Cole, being lighter is better. I asked him about it. He didn't really elaborate. He kind of just gave me a one word answer. So I don't I don't really have any clarity on that. But um, three cone is the biggest and then short shuttle and 40 time would be the next biggest uh, along with broad jump and then a little bit for arm length and even smaller for 10 yard split. The vert has an inverse relationship and weight is massively negative. So with all that put together, the top performers, in other words, the guys that perform the best in the context of the things that actually matter, although Braden Fisk was the most athletic, he came in second here. He was the 83rd percentile. So there's two different percentiles. One is value percentile, which is just, you know, uh, a ranking of, I guess, the likelihood of your ability to provide value to a team, maybe. And then there's also draft percentile, because remember, there's a second bar here. Um, I know you can't see it, but I described it to you a couple days ago. It's a blue bar, and, and that is the measurements that teams care about the most. So the other one is draft percentile. So the guys that blew up the draft by crushing the metrics that teams generally care about. So the top five producers and their percentiles in terms of value would be Mason Smith, 64th percentile, Gabe Hall, 76th percentile, Rook Aurororo, 82nd percentile, Braden Fisk, 83rd percentile, and then the absolute m- biggest winner is Logan Lee, 97th percentile. Now, remember, a lot of these guys are not doing the drills, especially when it comes to three cone, which again is the most important drill. Screw 40 time and all that. It doesn't freaking matter. Three cone is the most important drill, at least has the highest correlation to success of anybody, of anything. And one, two, three, four, only five guys did it. So the fact that Logan Lee did it is probably a big part of the reason why he's so high. And Braden Fisk, if he had done it, probably would be there as well. In fact, the only other agility drill, the short shot, he did do. And he got a 4-3-7, which is the exact same thing Logan Lee got. So he might have even been higher than Logan Lee had he just done the drill. But still, Logan Lee, 97th percentile, which really, when you're looking at that percentile, what we're talking about, in, in a sense, is the likelihood of success versus failure. And so... They're looking at this going, based on his measurements, relatively unlikely the guy just flat out sucks. Possible, but eh. The complete opposite of that would be the draft percentile. And the the top guys in the draft percentile, um, two of them that did great highly in both, one of them is Braden Fisk, right? He checked the boxes that teams like, but just the 68th percentile. Ruka Rororo was the 76th percentile, so that one, that guy was actually really close in terms of actual value and how much teams like him, but still did better than what teams like. Then there's Mason Smith. He was, again, 64th percentile in value, 83rd percentile in terms of how much teams are going to like him. Uh, the reason being, one of the biggest discrepancies between actual value and what teams like is weight. The higher your weight, the more teams like you. The lower your weight, the more you generally produce in the NFL. So heavier guys are going to be um, more desirable. Uh, teams also overvalue arm length, overvalue the 10-yard split. Uh, the vert is inverted also, um, and they massively undervalue three-cone. But the absolute biggest is Tavondre Sweat. And, and obviously, when you're 366 pounds, teams are going to love you. But the reality is his draft percentile, how much teams are going to like him? 98th percentile. His value, 
3.8, fourth percentile. He was the lowest graded guy of anybody that actually did enough to qual- uh, to qualify for these. Fabian Lovett, Jerzon Newton, Jordan Jefferson, Justin Rogers didn't do enough um, drills to even get a score. Tavondre Sweat, Sweat was literally the lowest value player while being the most desirable based on his his attributes. And again, I don't know that that's 100% going to be the case. I'm guessing teams like guys better than Tavondre Sweat. The scale's probably slightly broken just because he literally breaks the scale with his weight, which I'm sure there's a bit of a curve to it where teams kind of start to desire it less as it goes up. It's not just a completely linear thing into infinity. But still, I mean, we did hear about that. Like, oh man, he's 366. Look how look how great he moves because he's 366 and all this stuff. It's like, bro, it's, there's nothing good about this. So those are the guys to uh, take a look at for defensive tackles. Now, to be fair, he did also do a thing, um, Mr. Unexpected Points, where he removed weight just to kind of see what it looked like, which was my recommendation. Tavondre Sweat goes from one of the lowest to the third highest in terms of value. So as long as if we don't look at weight as a negative, he becomes an overall positive. In fact, it's much closer to what you would actually expect in terms of like the best players. The top five would be Braden Fisk, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, Rook Aroraro, and then Logan Lee. So do that how you want. Um, edge rushers. Just as a quick refresher, the things that matter most, the vert is the most important. After that is the 10-yard split. After that is the short shuttle. Then you got the 40. Then you got your arm length. Uh, then you got three cone. We're kind of getting down into the who cares territory with, again, some negative with weight and broad jump. As far as RAS, the top guys were, I'm not going to go through every single thing here, but um, you had Gabriel Murphy with an 896, Javante Jean-Baptiste with a 909, Jalex Hunt out of Houston Christian, 913, Leitu Latu, 916, Dallas Turner, 948, Jared Verse, 952, Cedric Johnson, 965, Chop Robinson with a 969, and then Miles Cole dominated the whole thing. He had the highest with a 996. He is 6'6, 278. He ran a 46740. 35-inch vert, and a 10-foot broad jump. All of that is, is relatively high. The only thing that wasn't like in the high 8s or 9s was his 10-yard split, which was a 7-7-7. Seven, seven, seven. But um, looking at it in terms of, again, the value, Dallas Turner, a billion percent is the dude. Again, first of all, vert is the most important thing, and he jumped out of the building. 40-and-a-half-inch vert was the number one of all the uh, the guys also had a really solid 10-yard split, 154. So in terms of value percentile, he is 99th percentile. Second is Chop Robinson, then Muhammad Kamara, then Gabriel Murphy, then Javon Solomon. Those are your top five guys in terms of uh, sort of the refined RAS, which is, you know, again, assigning value based on how much these metrics actually matter. Um, guys at the bottom... Brandon Dorless, Darius Robinson, Austin Booker, Trajan Jeffcoat, and Eric Watts. Uh, Leitu Latu also is one spot ahead of that. He's sixth, but still relatively low. Um, let, let me just reiterate with Darius Robinson. I can't do it. I, he is not an edge rusher. I can't. The guy ran a 49540. <laughs> like, I just, I cannot do it with him off the edge. He is an interior guy, period. I, I saw a thing with RAS even 
where I get, I, I think if you look at his metrics, I, I actually did it on my spreadsheet here. So, so I kind of did my own version of this. In other words, I spent a lot of time in spreadsheets creating a scoring system based on everything that this Kevin Cole guy was doing. I didn't know he was going to be doing it, so I was going to do it. Darius Robinson, um, as an edge rusher, I had, so I had a different scoring system. He was one of only two guys that had a negative scoring system, uh, a negative score, negative .00357, whatever. Trajan Jeffcoat was the only one that was lower. Terrible. If I take his exact same metrics and plug it in as a defensive tackle, his score is a 7.26, which puts him 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. He's sixth, sixth highest behind Rook Aroraro and ahead of Chris Jenkins. He's a defensive tackle. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand. But he is very desirable and everybody is all big on the guy. I just, I can't do it. Uh, biggest discrepancies in terms of desirability compared to talent. Miles Cole, big time, 97th percentile um, in terms of what he did in the combine, but in terms of what he did that matters, just 29th percentile. Eric Watts is another one, 81st percentile in desirability, 25th percentile in terms of value. Trajan Jeffcoat, 69th percentile compared to 22nd percentile. And then on the opposite side, guys that are valuable that aren't going to get as much love, Muhammad Kamara, 90th percentile compared to 64th, not a huge gap, but still there. Javon Solomon, 84th percentile in terms of value, only 46th percentile in terms of desirability. And then the biggest one is Gabriel Murphy. And Gabriel Murphy, again, the big one, remember, the vert. He had an unbelievably good 39.5 inches was his vert. So that's a big freaking deal. But he's got, you know, Pretty short arms and, you know, some of the other more desirable attributes. He's a little bit lighter weight, which is not going to work in his favor. So he's 88th percentile in value, just 27th percentile in desirability. So if you want to check out a guy that might not be on too many people's radar, check out Gabriel Murphy out of UCLA. Linebacker, as I mentioned before, is tough because when you look at things that actually correlate, it's basically nothing. None of this stuff matters. Um, again, if, if you don't remember, this is a scale that goes, I believe, out of 10. It's, I say I believe because very little of this actually makes it past even a 7. But um, nothing even gets close to, I don't think anything, at least in the positive, which is what I care about most, even gets to 0.5. Nothing matters. Broad jump is negative. Weight is the biggest thing, and it's negative. It's almost a negative 1. But I mean, the only two that are even close to being halfway to one are three cone in the 10 yard split. Arm length is maybe like 0.1. The 40 is literally zero. There is no line. The 40 has no relevance whatsoever. Same with the vert, zero relevance whatsoever. Short shuttle, almost no relevance whatsoever. Broad jump and weight are inverse. So it, it really just comes down. I mean, if I could implore you for almost any position, because I think there's a couple others that might be similar, where it's just a matter of just find a guy that plays good ball, linebacker would be the one. And I kind of speculated, again, I've, I've done this podcast like three times now, so I don't know if I've said this or if this was on one of the other podcasts, but you know, linebacker, teams have a real hard time nailing down linebackers and finding good ones. I wonder if this is part of it, because in reality, teams do, they, they essentially overweight everything. So weight is beyond a seven. So surprisingly, and I, I was surprised to see this, 
the higher the weight, the higher the, the likelihood that a team is going to draft you. That's over a seven, when really it's like a negative one in terms of correlation between success and, and um, weight. Arm length, they care at a three. Short shuttle, they care at a four. 10-yard split, 2.5. 40-yard dash, almost a three. The vert, 1.5. None of the, they, they care so much about so many things that don't matter. And one of the only things that kind of matters, the three-cone, like three-cone, 10-yard split, arm length. The three-cone, they don't care about at all. The broad jump, there's a negative correlation between the broad jump and how much teams care. So this is why I, I think this is why teams get um, linebacker wrong so much because they're just looking in all the wrong areas. So anyways, let's go to RAS because why not? It certainly couldn't hurt to be athletic if you're going to do something. Um... Jordan McGee had a 9-2-9 out of Temple. Edron Cooper, very popular linebacker prospect for the Packers. I couldn't quite get into him, but again, I'll go do a second pass through. Texas A&M, 9-3-4. Edefuan Olufashio out of Washington, 9-5-4. Trevin Wallace out of Kentucky, 9-6-4. And then Peyton Wilson, probably the most popular option at linebacker for everybody now, but but certainly the Packers, 9-8-1 out of North Carolina State. Um, in terms of value, and I, I even take this with a grain of salt because of the situation where these things don't matter, and again, a lot of drills these guys didn't do, but um, looking at the guys that are going to be most desirable, um, Peyton Wilson is at a 70th percentile, Trevin Wallace, 73rd, Marist Liu Fao, 78th percentile, and Edrin Cooper is actually at the top with his 85th percentile. He kind of dominated as far as arm length, 10-yard split, and 40-yard dash. Peyton Wilson obviously was very, very good in the 40 um, and the 10-yard split, but uh, 30.5-inch arms, 233, kind of had him a little bit lower on this list. In terms of actual value, the highest was Peyton Wilson, 91st percentile. Uh, then Nathaniel Watson, 90th percentile. Then it's Easton Gibbs. One of the biggest gaps between desirability and value is Easton Gibbs, 88th percentile. And then finally, another one that's pretty big gap, Aaron Casey, uh, 77th percentile in terms of value, just 26th, 27th percentile in terms of desirability. But lots of linebackers didn't do hardly any drills. So Jalen Ford, J.D. Bertrand, Jeremiah Trotter, uh, John Trey Hunter, Junior Colson, Michael Barrett, Steve Chambers, Tatum Bethune, Tommy Eichenberg, and Tyron Hopper, they didn't even qualify for percentiles because they didn't do enough to, to actually get a, uh, get a ranking on it. So um, again, just my, my thing with linebacker is stick to what you like about him obviously faster 40 time i'm sure you you like for certain reasons or whatever but again zero correlation between 40 time and success as a linebacker in the nfl so just go watch them and if you like them play that's your dude but i am just you know as somebody that wasn't big on edrin cooper or peyton wilson to begin with i'm not anti i just wasn't as big Peyton running a 4-4-3-40 just doesn't move the needle for me for that exact reason. It doesn't mean anything. Now, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, that has to translate somewhere somehow, but I'm just, I'm not going to let that sway me is the bottom line. All right, then we got to move on to uh, the next day where we have our DBs and our tight ends. Really, really awesome, uh, awesome group of guys here. Cornerback, cornerback actually is a lot like linebacker. 
very little correlation. In fact, almost everything is inverse, <laughs> which is crazy. And teams desire, every, like they're, they're kind of real big on a lot of different things here. So teams care, as far as like the biggest bars, first of all is how much teams care about the shuttle, then teams care about arm length, then how much teams care about the 40, then how much teams care about the three cone, then how much teams care about weight, then how much teams care about the 10-yard split. Then like way, 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 way down the list is the vert at like a 0.1, then the short shuttle at like a 0.05. Three cone, broad jump, 40, arm length and weight are all inverse, and the 10-yard split has no bearing whatsoever. So again, uh, similarly with corner, I don't care. Now, to be very clear, because I, I, I'm not going to take it to the extremes, and we'll get to the RASs of, for example, Ennis Rakestraw had a terrible combine. I think there is such a thing as too low. You know, it, so like um, 40 time and weight have like an inverse relationship to success. I'm not going to look at a 150 pound guy that runs a you know five one seven forty and be like that's the best corner in the draft because that's stupid. There's certainly a cutoff line. So what what I'm thinking of is at least when I'm contemplating what we're talking about here in terms of the value and the inverse between weight and arm length and forty and all that is there's a range, right? There are guys who run four two forties and then guys that run. I don't know, a 4.6, maybe a 4.65, whatever that cutoff is in your mind, that's the cutoff. And the bottom line is, let's say it's 4.6. The guys that run the 4.55 have historically very marginally, because again, it's not even a a negative one out of 10, but very marginally, the 4.55s have been better than the 4.35 guys in the NFL. And that's not that that hard or, or shocking to believe. You know, I mean, it, look at it from a wide receiver st- standpoint. We know Devontae Adams is like a 4-5 guy. Who gives a crap? I mean, there was a point in time when Devontae was the top guy, and I know the NFL has changed rapidly where everybody's running 4-4, 4-3, whatever. But there was a time when Devontae was at the top of the NFL, and I looked, and all the top 10 guys, almost every single one of them was like a 4-5 guy. But anyways, that's that's kind of the... I'm not simply saying that it is into infinity. And again, these are very marginal, which is to say negligible, which is to say... Assuming we operate within the range of, of, of the cutoffs, right? There probably is no such thing as too fast or, or whatever. And if there is, then, then make a cutoff. But on the other side, there is such a thing as too low. But within the range of acceptable, what I'm saying for corners is that it doesn't matter. Now, if they're outside of acceptable, which you know guys like Rakestraw might be, guys like Kinchins might be outside of what is acceptable, in which case they're just off your board. If you have a pile of guys that that you find acceptable, what I'm saying is disregard the combine entirely. That's just my prescription. You do what you want. It's it's I understand it's hard to not get excited about a guy that runs as fast as he does, especially these corners. There are some studs. Uh let's go through those, by the way. Uh DeAndre Prince out of Mississippi, 896 RAS. Cam Hart out of Notre Dame, 912. Andrew Phillips uh, out of Kentucky, 93. Nehemiah Pritchett out of Auburn, 941. Max Melton out of Rutgers, 968. Kyrie Jackson out of Oregon, 97. Elijah Jones out of Boston College, 974. The one and only Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo, 975. Uh, Decca Marion Richardson out of Mississippi State, 981. And then Jerrion Jones out of Florida State had a 986. And in the case of uh, Quinion Mitchell, 
he he ran a four three three forty. I mean, it, listen, I, I I get it, man. I'm looking at that like, okay, don't don't care, stop caring, don't care. I can't not be excited about that. I mean, if you get a guy like Quinion Mitchell, you can't look at four three three speed and not get excited. Now, again, we we've seen it, right? Kevin King and I understand he was like a four four two guy, but at the time that was elite speed in our mind. It didn't it didn't translate, right? We got a guy right now out of Georgia. Everybody wants off the team. He runs in the four threes, but it's still hard to not get excited about it, and I understand that. He also did quite well in the vert, which again, if there's a thing that matters, it's the vert. The other guy, Max Melton, uh, 9.62 out of 10, his vert was 40 and a half, dominated the vert, also runs a 4.39, so you can't not get excited about that in a, a pretty fast 10-yard split at uh, 5.11, 187. Also worth mentioning, uh, Nate Wiggins, who, you know, might be in play for the Packers, he uh Measured in at six foot one, one seventy three. Now one seventy three, you know, we might be in cutoff territory. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you. And his vert wasn't all that impressive. So maybe this is a guy that you're we're looking at the the wrong things. But um, Nate Wiggins is a first round cornerback who ran a four two eight. Maybe it's just all eye candy. I don't know. But it's something to keep in mind for the Packers. Looking at the values, and again, I take these with a grain of salt. I'm more interested in um, the... Uh, actually, you know what? He just did draft percentile for this. I wonder if that's just because it doesn't matter. It says, the combine results will move draft position for almost all drills with team preferring bigger, faster, quicker. I know, shocking for the NFL. But anyways, yeah, it looks like he just didn't didn't do it, and I appreciate that because, again, I don't I don't super care, but... Draft percentile, which is to say the most desirable based on what they're able to do. Ryan Watts is at the top. Then uh, Deca Marion Richardson, then Max Melton, then Nehemiah Pritchard, then Kyrie Jackson. And again, obviously this isn't like these are going to be the ones the guys like the most. But just in terms of like guys that probably turned some heads, maybe are going to be more desirable than we realize because they check a lot of boxes that teams care about. For example, Ryan Watts is... Uh, what is he? Six foot two, two hundred and eight pounds, with thirty five inch arms. <laughs> he ran a, he had a forty and a half inch vert. Like, dude, he checks some boxes, man. Now his forty is a four five three, but still, that's that's somebody to keep an eye on. Quinya Mitchell was sixth on the list. Uh, the lowest on here was Chow Smith, Wade, Tarheeb, Still, Kalen King, Dwight McLaughlin, and then my guy Ennis Rakestraw at a twenty nine point three. I want to look at Ennis real quick. He had what appears to be the second lowest RAS at a 5.74. I mean, look, it's certainly not, it's actually a 4.79 here. Why is that different? I don't know. It's different on the uh, website than what's actually popping up. It's probably why some of that stuff was out of order before. But um, look, I, I don't think that all of this necessarily falls outside of the range of what is possible. I don't think they take a guy like Rakestraw in the first round. I think that's out of the question. I would be shocked if it was second round, because again, usually you're kind of still in the nines. But, you know, when you look at it, what what really is the failure here? 5'11", 183 is not out of the realm of possibility. He didn't do the vert. He didn't do any agility. The 40-yard dash was a 4.54. It's certainly not fast, but it's not, I mean, it's just, it's okay. You know, if it, if it was a four six four, now you're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that, man. But I don't know. I mean, I listen. I don't think the Packers are going to take him. He he potentially has fallen out of the second round with these kind of numbers. I don't know. I still like him. He reminds me of uh, who was that guy? I think he played for Miami. I was real big on him. It was it was. I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. Hold on a second. Tease Tabor. He's my Tease Tabor. 
Tease Tabor was my guy in the 2017 draft. That was the draft with a ton of good corners. That was the, the year we got Kevin King, despite a lot of really good corners going that year or whatever. But I really liked Tease Tabor a lot. And he ended up running a 4-6-2. It was just brutal. So I realized like, okay, that was kind of when I got off the train. But still, I figure, you know what? I like the guy. I'll stick by him. The Lions draft him in the second round. He's a disaster. They convert him to safety. That doesn't work. It's just kind of a dis- But fine. Ennis Rakestraw is going to be my tease taper this year. Guy that I was all in on. He bombs his testing. He's going to get drafted and probably he's going to drop around like tease taper. I thought was a first. He fell into the second. Rakestraw probably falls into the third. Somebody's going to draft him. He's going to bomb out and it's just going to be it is what it is. But you know what? I stand by my guys, all right? Rakestraw's my guy. I'm sticking by Rakestraw. He's a good freaking player. I don't give a crap about a 4-5-4-40, all right? Shove it. It's not a 4-6-2. Anyways, safeties. Uh, safeties, there is actually a thing that matters, and it's the short shuttle. There's a problem, though. Two players actually performed the agility drills. Uh, Dominique Hampton did the three-cone in the shuttle, and Jaden Hicks did the three-cone in the shuttle. Nobody else did it. The only other thing, there's a slight... uh, There's two more. 40 barely matters, and weight actually barely matters in a positive sense. Usually it's negative. This time it's actually positive, believe it or not. But anyways, um, Mr. Math Bomb over at RAS separates out free safeties and strong safeties, so we will uh, go along with that. I don't know if these designations are necessarily correct, but of the free safeties, Marcellus Dial out of South Carolina had an 893 RAS, Isaiah Johnson out of Syracuse, 913, Jalen Carlees, 95, Dominique Hampton out of Washington, 973, Cole Bishop out of Utah, 981, and then Ryan Watts out of Texas, 984. And then for the strong safeties, and there weren't very many, um, uh, Millard Bradford was the only one that was pretty close out of Texas Christian, 832. Otherwise, uh, 598 for Damani Richardson and Andre Sam, 559. That was it. Tyler Newbin, Kalen Bullock are in this category, but don't have RAS scores, presumably because they didn't do enough. Um, of the two, Bullock just did the speed stuff. He ran a four four eight. But uh, looking at the values, the guys that stand out, there's three of them. James Williams, which is my freaking dude out of Miami. I actually went and checked, and his RAS was pretty terrible. Um, but I don't care. I like the guy. He uh, ran a four six five forty, which might be disqualifying in terms of his ability to actually do anything, especially if you're talking deep middle of the field. He's probably a box guy anyways, being he is a 231-pound uh, Four six five running freaking hammer. I don't. I I like the guy. I like James Williams, and uh, apparently his value is still relatively high. So that makes me happy. 80th percentile, then a big jump up. Dominique Hampton out of Washington, ninety three point three, and then Jalen Carley's ninety uh, eighth percentile in terms of. Uh, you know what? It's not freaking value. It's the damn draft percentile again. Whatever. I guess he gave up on that because it just there there isn't enough of it. But. Um, Whatever. I still like James Williams, okay? Leave me alone. So that's desirability. 80th for James Williams, 93rd for Dominique Hampton, and then Jalen Carley's 98th percentile. Again, a lot of this stuff, it just doesn't matter. Uh, if they had done the th- the short shuttle, again, there's a pretty high correlation, but nobody freaking did it. Um, And then tight ends, he does have value in draft, so I, at least I know that. The, the one thing that kind of matters, and it's actually above a one, which is shocking, is weight. Bigger tight ends are better. 
The NFL does care about that at three and a half, so they still overvalue it, but at least they kind of get that right. The big issue, though, is 40 time. Teams care the most about 40 times for tight ends, and uh, 40 time is mostly irrelevant, just like pretty much everything else is pretty much irrelevant. Short shuttle and 40 are the next highest, but it's not even at 0.5. It just doesn't matter. So weight is is kind of the only thing where there's a slight correlation. Um, teams care the most about 40 time and weight, and then shuttle, broad jump, and vert. All of those are above a 1. Again, weight at almost a 4, and 40 is about like a 4.25 or something. The uh, highest performers, you got Tanner uh, McLaughlin, tight end out of Arizona, 939. Jared Wiley out of Texas Christian, 952. Ben Sanat, popular pick for the Packers to be the new uh, Josiah DeGuara out of Kansas State, 975. Really good RAS scores there. Tip Riemann, tight end out of Illinois, 992. And then Theo Johnson, I saw, had a perfect 10 RAS. It's listed on the side as a 999, but when you go to his card, it is a perfect 10. Six foot six, 259 pounds. The guy ran a 451, uh, yeah, 45840, which is a 951 out of 10. Had a 155 10 yard split, 39 and a half inch vert, and a 10 foot 5 inch broad jump. So, one of the biggest athletic freaks, apparently, that we've seen at tight end. So, that's going to be a fun one to look at. And then uh, getting to the winners and losers here. Um, Surprisingly, Theo Johnson is not the top dog. It's Tip Riemann for both desirability and value. So Tip Riemann out of Illinois, 99th percentile, 99.4 for desirability, 100th percentile for value. And I mean, the biggest thing is weight. He's, He's 271 compared to Theo Johnson, who's 259. So he ran a 4.64 compared to Theo Johnson's 4.57, but they both ran the 10-yard split at 1.55. And uh, Theo Johnson had the better shuttle. Tip Riemann actually had a significantly better three-cone, though. But Theo Johnson was number two, very high. Desirability, 97th percentile. Value, 95th percentile. Uh, in terms of value after that, it's Ben Sinat and then Brevin Span Ford down to 66th percentile already, but he's the fourth highest. In terms of desirability, you got Tip Riemann, you got Theo Johnson. After that is Ben Sinat, and then after that is Jared Wiley. So it's it's pretty much in order, just slightly different. It's actually very similar in terms of desirability and actually value. So hopefully the NFL can get this one right. But lots of guys to look at, man. It's it's fun because I feel like I've gone through so many prospects, and then you look at this and it's like, dude, I've never looked at Theo Johnson. I've never looked at Tip Riemann. I don't think. I don't even know who the tight ends were, but I don't think I've looked at these guys yet. So many different guys that are pretty high value that are going to be bursting onto the scene that uh, we, we got to start getting our hands on. So we're going to go through the combine today. I see the measurements are already coming in. So I got to go check out what's going on with the quarterbacks. Uh, running back, actually, let me look at this real quick. So for the remaining guys, uh, running back, three cone is massively important. So um, that'll be a big thing for tomorrow when you're looking at running back. That's the only one that matters, and it matters pretty significantly of course, the NFL only cares about 40 time and massively. Wide receiver, nothing really matters, but 40 time is at a one. So a little bit 40 time. And quarterbacks aren't even on here because, I mean, let's be honest, it's not about it's not about any of this. 40 time is irrelevant. It's about how good of how good at throwing footballs are you. So anyways, I'm gonna leave you guys at that. I'm gonna make sure to upload this immediately so I don't forget. 
Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Tonight, maybe. Have a good one. Bye-bye.